<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch, now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in-store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii. All right, it is film study. It's the offensive episode for week three when we get to look back at that amazing offensive performance against the Kansas City Chiefs on Monday night. Ken McCusick, how you doing? Life's good, Josh. How about you? See, I'm able to just pass it to you and you didn't drop it. <laughs> so, uh, doing all right. So, joining us tonight is Dev. Dev, you've been on this show many times. Welcome back. Thanks, Josh. Uh, happy to be on. Not so happy for the results, but hey, we'll get through it, right? I'm yeah. sure you were a little more excited to sign up for this game ahead of it being played, <laughs> thinking it could be an exciting game to talk about. I think I vented to my wife. I said, you know, why am I why am I covering not the game, but I'm like, they have the worst game plans in these moments lately. And it just uh, we'll get into it. But it was that was a disappointment. Love the love the matchup on paper, but the game plan was was lacking and pizzazz. All right. Well, we're going to get into the game in just a moment. You know, before we start the game, Ken, I wanted to just uh, thank everyone for uh, being patient with us while we figured out this audio stuff. 
Yeah, that's uh, it's been a big deal, folks, and we we really appreciate it tremendously. It's been I don't know how many stages we've been through this, but we think we finally got a platform that's stable. Guests can be at the right level. Josh, now, now, really appreciate yeah. you working through all this. Now, with one little caveat, <laughs> a little bit more patience tonight as we're working without headphones for Dev. Yes. So that's so we're having to tweak the audio a little bit for that. But I think uh, you guys have been patient. We've gotten all of your feedback. Some we have responded to. Some we have not because we already had plenty of feedback. But thank you for sticking with us. It is We believe it's fixed. We fixed mic issues. We've changed to a new platform for recording. And we were really happy with how the defensive podcast went. So we'll be moving forward on this podcast. Yeah, and, and I apologize to you, Josh, because as much as the, the listeners have been complaining about the sound quality, I've been whining about it too a lot. But anyway, we're through it, and I'm, yeah. I'm thrilled with the new levels. We're all looking forward. Let's hope that the Ravens can bounce back as much as we've bounced back. <laughs> so let's get into this game. It went like no one expected in Baltimore. So let's just dig into it. Right. Certainly, uh, Dev, thanks so much for joining us. Always a pleasure to talk football with you. One of my favorite people to do so. But uh, I, this is a game I thought both the offense and defense share the blame. I, I, the coaches as well, if you want to go there. Um, I can't really decide whether the letting the Ravens, whether letting the Chiefs march up and down the field they were the way they did is worse than the sputtering Ravens passing game. But they were both pretty bad. Yeah, no, I think that you hit it. There was a combination of, you know, sometimes you can pin it on the coaching. Sometimes you can maybe say the players didn't execute. This was across the board between uh, guys dropping passes, as we alluded to in the beginning. You look at the defense. Uh, there's probably a combination of guys might not have been uh, – well, obviously people missed their assignments, but even when you're looking at the lack of press coverage, there could have been situations there where players just didn't do it. Uh, it looked like they were, you know, a bit flustered. Uh, almost like that the proverbial like the boxing match where you're getting you're getting pounded and you don't know how to react. So I think that's kind of what happened. The disturbing part as a fan, as an observer, is this is the second big game under the bright lights since that well, I guess including the postseason game. So they kind of had a they had very eerily similar looks and feels. Um, and that's the thing that's a bit concerning although they did come back and they made a game out of it so you can kind of take that as a positive but uh, yeah a lot of things to to point to yeah i'm you know for the people who say they failed under the bright lights i mean the ravens won every big game against every big opponent following until the titans playoff games and that that wasn't a load of crap that was you know the seattle in seattle with the hell yeah let's go for it game that was beating New England on Monday night football or Sunday night football, right? Sunday night football. Uh, It was beating Kansas city with the fourth quarter game winning drive in a tie game. It was beating Buffalo up there in those messy shit conditions. You know, it's just, it's, it was a, it was, they've had huge wins all through this time. It's not like this team has laid down in big games. They decimated those opponents. They never let them have the lead in the second half. Uh, You know, they were all in that group that, that didn't get it done. Uh, it's really hard for me to look at this one game and say, boy, you know, this game just, they can't win a big game. You know, I just, I, I, I have trouble hearing that right now. Yeah, no, they've got a good resume for sure. And you go back to Lamar when he took over as a rookie, they went, you know, and, and got that win against the Chargers as well. They're in the regular season. They beat the mm-hmm. Browns when the game, when the playoffs were on the line. I don't think it's a matter of that. I think though, uh, you, just, just the, 
it's just kind of their, 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 I guess some of the things that happen and specifically, I guess the drops is what you look at more than anything, but you know, some of the communication breakdowns on defense, but that could happen in a number of other games as well. And uh, I guess there's some, some levels of symptoms that match up with that Tennessee game, but I don't know if it's a matter of, of just being, you know, unable to rise to the occasion in a big game or under the bright lights situation. But um, you know, this offense, I think, is more under the gun right now when you just look at the totality of um, the games against Kansas City and, and the playoff games. They, they've really just knocked it. I mean, they've lost three games to Kansas City, and they've lost, a, lost two huge playoff games. And yeah. that's, what, five of the six games Omar has ever lost? So, <laughs> you know, I, 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 I'm, I will forgive him. Um, oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> All right, let's let's move on to the offensive line scoring for this game because I, I, I want to talk about that. Actually, a pretty darn good game for the offensive line when I looked at it. Four sacks allowed. Three of those went to the offensive line. But there are a whole lot of good things which happened too. They did have their first two penalties of the season, a couple false starts. Uh, it's not too bad for three games to have, to have two penalties like that. They had no quarterback hit charge to a lineman and no penetrations, meaning runs for losses. Uh, much of the Chiefs' pressure was generated by overload blitzes, so they didn't have a bunch of pressures. In fact, had only two pressers charged against the offensive line in this game, which is very low. They had three and a half in the last game, which was excellent, and they had ten and a half, I believe, in the previous game. So that gives you an idea of of just how good they've been with not really, you know, doing their part to keep Lamar unpressured, even though the overloads were effective in this game. They gave Jackson uh, ample time and space on 11 of 32 dropbacks. That's 34%. That was only a little bit less than Mahomes. Mahomes had 38% in the game. The Ravens got a little bit of pressure on him. Uh, you know, there are other times when the pocket wasn't going to hold up for three seconds, and Mahomes had the ball out quickly, which is something he did better than Jackson. But I thought that, that the pass blocking was not terrible, and the run blocking was really exceptional in this game. Yeah, it's encouraging because, as you said, uh, not necessarily as reflective of the last two games, especially against the Texans. I think um, they, they seemed to straighten out some of their issues. I agree. It just from the face of it, it looked like Lamar definitely had some time to throw. I mean, we go from the first game where he's clearly just scram, uh, mm-hmm. long time moving around in the pocket from the jump. Uh, I think that you, you, there was times he had the opportunity to set his feet and he missed some throws on his own. It wasn't because of the line. It wasn't necessarily because of the pressure. Um, you know, the Chiefs have a pretty good front as well, especially the interior rush. I was worried about that going into the game. It didn't really show itself until they were in some clear, obvious passing situations and they were, you know, playing catch up. But um, overall, it looked good to me on the face of it. Right. Oh, let's talk about some individual players here. Uh, Ronnie Stanley, uh, really glad to see he's back from the ankle. He had a his, his great trend is good so far this year. CBA. Uh, half a sack was his only uh, charge in this game. He shared that with Bozeman on a stun handoff. I looked at it five, six times. I couldn't decide which one of them to charge for the thing. Uh, it, Stanley was not deep enough. Bozeman didn't hand it all the way off. Either way, sack right between them in that B-gap, and and uh, I, I just split the charge on that. Uh, otherwise, outstanding game, and Stanley made some great seal blocks on that left edge, in particular for Lamar. Yeah, no, for sure. He, I, I think that stood out. From my, my vantage point as well, that's interesting. That that that's a rock solid left side right now. Bozeman's playing really well. Stanley's obviously he's a rock star, so you like to see that. And I think uh, they're getting into a groove. Yeah, it's 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 true. I mean, they obviously I had a lot of problems with stunts early on in Bozeman's first year, but Bozeman, 
you know, had gone 12, I'm sorry, 13 consecutive games, including the playoff game, without allowing a sack. He had 1.5 in this game as I saw it. And, you know, it wasn't a good game for Bozeman, but also wasn't a fall off the cliff game. He had no other negative plays than those two sacks. He did have four misses. He only connected on three of his six pulls in the game, which is un-Bozeman-like. He's been connecting on a high percentage of his pulls. Uh, it worked out to the bottom end of the C range. But, hey, there's a lot of variation game-to-game in offensive line play. And I see this. You know, you, you, you get players who are A, D, F, B kind of thing. And it just it happens. But Bozeman has been remarkably consistent now uh, since week six of last year. Yeah, and if you and that's that's the thing we've talked about on in other past podcasts is that he's gotten better and better and better. He started off rough. You want to see that. You want to see um, a player get better and better and get more acclimated to their position. And it's funny because we kicked around the idea of him playing center. Right. Uh, which I think he could still do, uh, but you know he's really found a home at the left guard position, and he's a critic. Like you said, he's critical on those pull blocks. Um, he can get up to the second level. Uh, so they really count on him to do a lot of the heavy lifting um, in the run game. And so it's, I think it's a testament to his um, just kind of his work ethic. And he, he's worked at it. And he's really, I think, like you said, just been the most steady guy on that line. I mean, the tackles are great, but the proof's in the numbers here. And it's an interesting thing because there's word from various rumored sources that there's a big contract about to be announced for the Ravens. And I think a lot of people think it'll be Ronnie Stanley. It can't be Jackson. Obviously, that's that's not possible. Mm-hmm. It could be Stanley. It could possibly be Humphrey as well. Um, but another guy who it could be is Bradley Bozeman. He's he's. Oh wait a minute, it can't be. He's in year three now, isn't he? Yeah, it's a great. It was, it was a really good idea, but he could be extended this off season. And I think it's something the Ravens ought to consider. But that's. I'm actually happy that's that's true because if, if I really wanted to be Stanley. But uh, but I think Bradley Bozeman would be a very reasonable uh, player to extend early this offseason and and get you know another piece of that offensive line locked in. And, and he should be at a discount because it always is after three years as opposed to after four. Well, yeah, and it, it kind of follows suit with some of the other deals they've made, like the Chuck Clark signing. Ricard. Yeah, Ricard. So they're proactive and, and they, they look at, and that's one of the things that's it's interesting because I've been beating the drum with Ozzy for so long, with Ozzy Newsom for so long. I said, got to get these young guys signed before they hit the market. And Ozzy yeah. Newsom would consistently wait until these guys hit the market. So Eric DaCosta, one of his staples is that he's doing, what, he, what he's doing is locking these guys up before they even get that opportunity so they can get them under market value. Right. But they're in cap hell is the, is the real issue there, David. That's why they couldn't make all the deals. I mean, they would have loved to, I think. And they did sign a couple guys early, like, like Lardarius Webb, they signed early in that manner after 2011. And, and they really paid at the top of the market for Lardarius, unfortunately. But uh, uh, you know, it is, it's always the, the best option, but once you have your quarterback on his, on the franchise thing, it's very, very difficult to find that room. Yeah, for sure. So, but it's good to see that this is turning around a bit. And I agree, it could be it could be some something to that effect. It might not be uh, Marlon Humphrey. It might not be Ronnie Stanley. Although I, I agree, I think of the two, I'd rather see Stanley uh, locked up. And you know, he's the more essential player, but he's also the guy that brings you a little bit more of a cap windfall. But not that they would necessarily utilize that uh, right now. But yeah, it'll oh, be- you mean you mean a cap windfall just in terms of this year? Just this year, but they're not going to 
they're not going to be able to, there's not much you can do with that. Like immediately, right. unless they're something else, a, a secondary move that they have in mind. Right. It had to be like a Jadavian Clowney or somebody they want to sign. And there are guys out there right now still like Cordy Glenn, if they had a problem at tackle. But my, my opinion on this is whatever money that they can save is really 2021 money. And I, I don't want them spending more money on this year. It's a, it's a, we're already seeing the season at risk with the COVID thing in Tennessee. Uh, I'm, I'm just, I'm not keen on spending more money on this year. I think the dollars are worth more next year, better off saving them. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, and I think that's, you know, that's still good dollars that they can allocate to next year. So, uh, but the bigger issue would be locking up a guy like Stanley. Sure. Sure. Let's move on. Skura uh, had his second straight pretty good game after a very bad opener. Uh, he shared a pressure with Phillips. He had a false start. Uh, I'm not seeing the kind of mobility that I'd hope for. He had just one block in level two, but it looks like they set up the double teams for him to have the back end on a lot of them, which is something he's pretty good at doing. It's also an undervalued skill. When you have a double team, you have a the combo block guy is is the rock star. He he you know he helps the, with the block at level one, tees your guy up, and then he moves to level two and makes another block in space. But the but the guy who leaves behind, I think that is an undervalued trait. And I think score there are scoring systems out there that don't value that and yet will will give negative charges if anything goes wrong with it. So the only thing you get, you're kind of like a baseball closer coming in where the only thing that can happen is something that's very wrong. You don't you don't kind of there's not even a save stat for for having the back end of a double team. Anyway, B for Skura in this game. That's a big deal. B again, he I know he struggled in that first game against Cleveland, but we we knew that was going to happen to an extent. You had to have expected it. He's not mm-hmm. going to come back after an injury like that and just pick up right where he left off against the star interior line like Cleveland's in particular with Ogan Joby and and Sheldon Richardson in there. That's right. Yeah, they they're not. You know, that's not a group that you know is just it's it's a it's a group that has some ability for sure, and then. Yeah, they, you fast forward to this group. Kansas City's got some players up front. So oh, yeah. I think uh, again, it's a testament to it's Monday Night Football. They had, the, I mean, out of an offensive performance that was lackluster, I think it's positive across the board. But Skura, especially as a as a person of interest for me, because of all the things you know we've talked about, that center position held down, but it needed it needed Skura. <laughs> it needed touch at the highest level. So um, I think that is encouraging, and then hopefully he'll just continue to build. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, I, I, I don't know what expectations I really had for Skura coming out of this, but he hasn't, he probably has not quite met my mobility hopes for him, given what's going on. I'm not really surprised by it, but, but I'm, but he's not blocking. He's not getting to level two to make blocks the same way. And it looked on one screen pass. And I hate to do this with a small sample size, but it's more like a a trait based thing that I'm seeing that he just, he didn't have the legs to get out in front of that play and, and try and help on it. And he actually kind of gave up on it pretty early. So, uh, you know, I I like that. He he did make one out of one pulls in this game. That's something. Uh, But, but I, I, I'm still I'm waiting for the next signs of positive mobility from Skura that are going to really put him over the top. It's not enough that it, that he's got that the anchor we would like to see and is the back end of double teams. He has to provide some mobility to be a real value on that line. Is that something that you in what you've seen is that something that is a matter of him just working through physically like the limitations that he may be having through recovery or does he is it too soon to tell like if he's lost it? 
I think I'm not qualified to say because I think I'd really be be rendering a medical opinion on how much mobility he should have at each stage along the line, and that's just you know I, I, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. So so I I think that he's uh, uh, you know we want to see it. We know this was a fast rehab. It's not shocking if he's lost something in terms of mobility from my perspective or strength for that matter. But some of the strength things at least seem to be okay. You know, some of the anchoring and, and some of the other things that he needs, needs to, you know, really use the strengths in his legs to squat and, and, and maintain good pad level and whatnot. Those appear to be okay. It's just, it's the mobility that, that has me a little concerned. Well, the last point, it's interesting that you say that. The last point about this, though, is that I'm actually encouraged by the anchoring part of it because um, that's where I felt like they got pushed around a bit at the end of the year. So if he can work his way back, I agree mobility is cr- critical, especially with all the things they want to accomplish with the scheme. It's going to be limited if he's not able to get to that point. Uh, yeah. So we'll find out. But I, I, I think the anchoring part is, is, is really important uh, right now, and that's great that he's able to do that. All right. Uh, let's move on. Tyree Phillips uh, had his best game to date. Um, didn't have any contribution to any of the sacks. Uh, he gave up one and a half pressures in the game. That was one and a half of the two that the line gave up made six blocks in level two. So now we see where the mobility is going. He had a real good game, by the way, in level in, in week one for mobility with blocks in level two and seven out of seven pulls. Uh, but in this game, he wasn't asked to pull, just made six blocks in level two. Two of those I scored as highlight combination blocks, which I thought they were you know above average good blocks at both levels. Uh, he I mentioned he wasn't asked to pull. He has a problem that that shows up every once in a while that I really don't like is that he drifts back into the pocket unnecessarily. And some of it he does just because he tries to be closer to the other lineman or he's looking for work. But what it really ends up doing is impeding Lamar's space in the mm-hmm. pocket. And and I've I've noticed that a couple of times. It's just he's he's loitering in the cone and the throwing cone where where Lamar either might actually throw through that spot or step up to throw in that spot. But the, anyway, loitering in there is obviously bad. Yes, uh, and there's no way to know <laughs> when you look back at the film and and the coaches. I'm, I mean, I'm speaking through like if those plays had an, an impact on Lamar being able to complete a throw down the field, for example. And I guess if you associate you know, those two things, then you could kind of make the connection that that might have happened. But uh, yeah, that's something he's got to clean up uh, as this passing game needs to continue to improve. But it's, you know, he's he's really been encouraging. And it's interesting to, interesting in your report that he's also making a lot of level two blocks. That's that's phenomenal. Yeah, he, he had a good game here. Uh, his best to date, it was an A as I scored it. Um, I, I noticed PFF did not have it as good. That's okay. Uh, a, C, and an F in his three games so far. Or maybe it was a D minus, but it's, anyway, it's it's approximately that. Uh, I I think that's very encouraging from a rookie. To, mm-hmm. to get a, you know to get a C average in your early games that's what Orlando Brown had roughly in his first three games uh, we've seen that from other players and this is this is a true rookie starting from game one of his rookie year without a preseason so I I can I can make grading allowances for that Skura started at a lower level and has moved up fairly steadily you know as, as he went now Skura was undrafted and and you know Tyree Phillips is a third round pick but still we're you know maybe maybe Brown is the fair comparison there in terms of of uh, who is his progression ought to emulate. Yeah, and then, and then you also have to factor into this is a position shift and, you know, he's learning the ropes and Boy. there's a lot. Uh, like you said, you, no preseason. Uh, it's impressive. I'm very impressed with him. And I think 
especially the mobility, especially the movement, like his ability to do that. I, I don't, I know he's a brawler and I know he's a guy that can really just overpower people. So if he can hold up in these combination blocks and level two blocks, they really got something then because he's talented. And we've talked about that physically. He could become really special. Right. He, he's, he's got an unusual body build for a, for a guard to me. He looks more, and, and you know some of this has got to be personal sculpting because I don't think he looked this way in college. I don't think he looked as good in terms of being kind of a, a, a sculpted, you know, block, evenly formed block from top to bottom. But he looks more like Michael Orr to me than your typical gourd-shaped guard where mm-hmm. they're carrying more sand in the pants and and they're they're lower and hippier and more muscular in that era and 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 probably have a better anchor because of it. He he depends on his length to get a lot of his pass blocking advantages and and uh, you know some of that has worked out and some of it is not. It should really do him well in the run game. I don't think we've really seen that to date. We certainly haven't seen enough evidence to date to see how that's going to help. But but I do think it's going to work out in time for him. Yeah, I think early re- results have been encouraging for sure. So. All right, let's move on. I'm sorry, I'm taking too long on the offensive line here. Brown, uh, beaten outside for a sack. Uh, this was an interesting one. If you, I, I encourage people to do this. If you have this game on DVR, first of all, I know you probably want to destroy it. But before you do, go back to your DVR, particularly if it's a direct TV DVR, but I imagine this works on other DVRs as well, that it records the 1080i image with 30 frames per second. We've talked about this a little bit before, but if you hit pause at any point and then start clicking the fast forward button one at a time, each one of those clicks will be one thirtieth of a second. Now, why is this interesting? If you go to this particular play, click, basically set it behind where the ball is snapped. Set it before where the, where the ball is snapped. Click forward to the first movement of the football. And then you'll, you'll count. It was 21 additional clicks, which is seven tenths of a second before Orlando Brown got out of his stance. I've, I, I've rarely seen anybody do it that slowly. It, I, overall, a lot of years hasn't really happened, but this was really bad and it led to a sack. And uh, it was, uh, he had one other costly false start in this game, C for the game, but uh, just an interesting thing you can do with your DVR. There's a lot of uses for that in terms of timing stuff in football. Very interesting. I uh, wouldn't have thought of that. I know he's uh, no that, that, and that's something um, that that is pretty useful because you see it with your eyes. But I mean, a lot of times you, you lose that with, with when you're watching the, t- the game. Obviously, you're, you're not watching each individual player every time, right? So I think that's that's it. that's pretty useful. But he seems to continue to have a rocky start to the season overall. Yeah, he's he hasn't been perfect. He had a good game in in the second game. He was really bad in week one. So he's been he's been all over the board in three games. I'm not worried about him. You know, characteristically in terms of what he's doing, most of what he does seems to be pretty good. I don't, you know, he doesn't have the greatest probably ability is at the point as opposed to effort in terms of looking for work in level two when the play goes to the offside. And this is a problem with tackles in general is that it's hard for them to find work and they don't work too hard to find work. If it means going after a cornerback or going after somebody who's on the right side of the field when the run is going to the left. So they just, you know, it, it is what it is. Huge problem for Bryant McKinney. It's a lesser problem for uh, Orlando Brown, but it's still, a, it's still an issue uh, for him as well. That makes sense. And I think, uh, you know, that, that, I think that's 
pretty good. That's a fair point in the evaluation of him so far. So nothing really jumps off the page. And I think, you know, still, we, we still have to remember this th- third game of the season. And like you said, there's no preseason as well. Mm-hmm. All right, let's, let's move on here. I want to talk about Lamar Jackson, obviously, in this game. It's, it's a difficult game to talk about. Probably his worst game, uh, 2.2 yards per pass play in this game. And I didn't look back to his rookie year to see what did he have that, that was in that same level. Kind of interesting that even in a game where he has 85 rushing yards, it can be a fall off the table performance. Yeah. Well, I think starting off, you know, there was throws that he missed. There was drops, combination of those things. Like it's, it's hard not to be able to throw over a hundred yards in a game. Like I just, it was incredible to see that number, uh, I, I was stunned by it because you're watching the game and you see a couple completions and you're like, okay, well, you know, maybe they're at like 150, 200 to see that at the end, uh, ultimate, ultimately was stunning for me. Uh, but if you think about it, uh, you know, what was, what were the completions of note? There weren't any in this game, uh, for the most part, right? I think they, they really just made, they had a couple of big plays in the run game, uh, that really, you know, kind of even the plays that you're used to with Lamar where he breaks off a, a, a play and it's, it's a schoolyard football. He finds a guy down the field. I think he had one to Dobbins, if I'm not mistaken. In right. Game. I mean, I was just going to say the four catches for Dobbins for – no, let's see. Where am I looking at this? Yeah, four catches for Dobbins for 38. That was really the highlight of the offense, including yeah. a long of 19. That was uh, it. Yeah, uh, that was pretty much it. <laughs> and, and so with Ken, I, he also – you know, the misses, I don't want to harp on – in a big way, because I know he was also led down by the drops. But you know, those are those are misses on the outside, deep routes to Mar- uh, Marquise Brown, which it, it gets back to some, uh, it gets back to a weak area for him. Now I know he's done some good things to improve that, but again, until he's able to complete these throws, it's gonna, it's still gonna hang over him. Right. I, I, I you know, he had the the forty-seven yard completion to Marquise Brown that was earlier in the season. That was. I thought he basically underthrew a ball that should have been a touchdown. It was, it was. If you looked at the where the receiving circle was, it was too close to the coverage circle of the defensive back, such that it made for an easy tackle after the catch, and and it almost Brown had to slow down, almost lean back into the cornerback in order to make that play. In this game, he just slightly overthrew Brown, and Brown had to switch shoulders on the ball. It almost looked to me like Brown could have caught it. Um, it was it wasn't far out of his reach, but having to switch shoulders really seemed to. I don't know how much it slowed him down, but it definitely put himself where his hands were not properly aligned with the track of the football. Sure, I mean that's a fair point. Like they could have, he could have made a play on it too. It just seemed like they were off. Both of them were off in yeah. situations where they normally are on. Uh, so that that's again to say it's not to pick on Lamar with these misses, but. It's a little bit magnified uh, to me just because of the stakes of the game and, and, and the opportunities that the Chiefs gave them. They gave them the, they gave them those looks, I think, for a reason. They took their chances that they were, you know, uh, they, they were forcing some tough throws. Not tough throws so much as like pressure pack throws, mm-hmm. and, and they didn't hit those plays. Yeah, I mean, I, I, Lamar made a few good throws in the game. The touchdown pass to Boyle was a really nice one, but you know, he he also got let down, and I think for the first time. That since he's been really starting, he really showed some obvious um, disappointment in his teammates 
Is, is that the word I would use? Frustration maybe is, is a better way of putting it. I'm sorry, yeah. say again? Visible frustration. Yes. Which is interesting that you bring that up because I, I made a note. I didn't put this out on, on social media, but I was, I was tempted to do it, which is that, and I kind of alluded to it, like Lamar, I feel like um, he's got to have better poise in these situations. Emote less on the field. Yeah, he's got to. And I know he's passionate and I know he, it, he you know, Somebody would probably listen to this and say, well, what about all the other quarterbacks that are out there, like Phillip Rivers? Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, the thing with Lamar is his energy really resonates with the rest of the guys so yeah. much that he, and he's got to just stay composed. And especially when they're down in the games, I, the Mark Andrews drop is, is a great example. Like they pan to him and he just... Turned his head 200, well, not 270 degrees. What is it? About 120 degrees. Yeah, and you can't do that. I mean, Andrews made the one-handed catch in the first touchdown of the season, right? So you, he's going to – it's compounded. And I know we don't want to make this into, you know, a game in which, like, mentally maybe are, are they going to be able to overcome some of this? Because, like you said, they've won some big games and they've made some big catches. Like, Mark Andrews especially has done that. But now Andrews has a few drops to his name as well in – back-to-back sequences against Tennessee and now Kansas City. So you, you, I think, you know, hopefully Lamar took these guys aside during the week and just said, look, you know, uh, I didn't mean for my, you know, body language to come across that way. Let's get, let's go get it. Let's, let's turn this around. And I'm sure he did. He's a good leader. Uh, but that's a good point, I think, that needs to be talked about is that he did show some frustration. Okay, I'm just looking at this right now. It looks like to me, Mark Andrews has a 58% catch rate beginning in, in week three of last year. It's a big problem. It's a, this is not a small problem anymore. It's not just it's not just drops. It's it's just not you know not catching the football for whatever reason. There's been lots of rain. There's been lots of other issues. But you know he's he just he caught 16 to 17 balls the first two weeks last year. It, that was fantastic. Since then, he's he's been not the same guy anymore, and you know I don't. He caught three of eight balls in this game. Some of that was Lamar, okay, and some of it was Andrews not not going up and making some catches that he could have made. You know, there was a catch in the middle of the field where I don't I don't think the ball got tipped in any way that I thought Andrews could have had. No. Would have been a would have been a, would have been a good catch, but it would, the throw was good. I yeah, mean, the throw was, was in the window. That was a critical one. That was I think the second down play. Um, down the, Lamar had it down the hole almost, and and Mark yeah. just dropped it, and then yeah, the end zone drops. So yeah, it's it's turning into, it's definitely turning into a a like you like you said you can't blow it off type of thing. It's turning into um, a concern. I think is probably the right word. And uh, he's a great player. He's a big time playmaker. But you know the argument that people might start to make if he doesn't turn this around is you you, you also traded Hayden Hurst who had. Who had the hands? So yeah, who had, definitely had the hands. Yeah. I, you know, Andrews is a guy. I he probably has his own jugs gun already. But if he did, doesn't he better buy one for himself? And he doesn't need to wait for the off season. He could do it in season. No, and I, I <laughs> that part, I, I definitely think he's going to hit it hard. Uh, you know, a, a real quick, to, uh, Ken, is that you and I are both NFL historians. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize this, but in the first three, in Tony Gonzalez's first three seasons, he struggled with drops. He's a Hall of Fame tight end. He's yeah. one of the top three to five tight ends of all time. But I watched, I think it was a football life on Tony Gonzalez. And apparently, and I didn't even know this, I think his third season, which is where I think Mark Andrews is at, struggled with drops. So it's not, 
it's not a situation where he can't overcome it, but he's got to turn it around pretty quickly because on a team that has two guys as their top guys, Andrews has to turn it around. He's a critical piece. Right. In, 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 in Gonzalez's second year in 1998, had just a 57.8% catch rate. For his career, under 66%, which for a tight end, by the way, ain't too great. Well, He's in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> but, there you but, go. Was even, uh, I didn't know if it was his second or third year. So, you, yeah, that sounds about right. But okay. um, I think he'll turn around. He's too good of a player. But, yeah, I, I agree. Concerning, for sure. All right, we mentioned the, 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 the outside the numbers throw to Hollywood. The early throw that went right through his hands, it was, I think it was on the first series, unacceptable. But it, it, didn't, it wasn't the reason the Ravens didn't get in the end zone. They eventually got down inside the 10 and, and, uh, and had the job, had to drive Peter out on them. But uh, I, I, I felt, did you feel at that point that that was like a really big time to not get in the end zone. I mean, four points yeah. is always important against the Chiefs. Yeah. You feel on the first drive, they'd run the ball so effectively right down their throats. Boy, it'd be nice if they finished that. Yeah, I really did, Ken. And you don't want to make too much out of an opening drive touchdown. I really thought that was a loss for them to not get that touchdown. It was not a good feeling after that to get the three points. And it's also the sequence, of course, we understand that there was three passes that were, were called once they got down, you know, close in the red zone. So it was just, it wasn't a good feeling, right? Like you you had to come out with a drive like that where you're punching this team in the mouth and then you just end up settling for three points. Okay, interesting point there on the three passes. The first one was actually, it was a run by Lamar where he ended up throwing the ball out of bounds, right? That's the, that, I think that's the one. I, I'm not sure where that exactly happened. I thought it was on the first drive. He, he yeah. rolled right. And the reason I can tell you was design run is one of the one of the linemen, and I think it might have been Orlando Brown or might have been Phillips, was six yards downfield blocking. So he, he should have been flagged if you know he should have been flagged. Period when the ball was thrown, but but he but he definitely should have been flagged. Uh, you know it being if if it hadn't been a designed run originally. Anyway. No, I could see that. I mean, I think you know there was some dispute on whether or not that was a called pass or not, and then I. There might have been an RPO in that sequence as well, uh, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I'm trying to think back if that was uh, was it Duvernay or to Dobbins. I can't remember who it was. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think, to your point, those were, may may have been situations where he made that decision, um, which which is also, you know, again, like he didn't have a good game in terms of some of the decisions that were made. So. Uh, you know, I don't know if that's a Roman thing necessarily, but yeah, just again, they got to that spot and it just couldn't finish it off. Right, that is a certainly a darn shame. All right, let's see what else are we talking about about Lamar's game. Uh, let me just ask one question: Is there anything about this game that concerns you in terms of its portent for the rest of the season for Lamar? Yeah, no, I I think as it goes. For the rest of the season, it's just those outside throws that I'd like to see him hit. Uh, and you know, I'm not concerned necessarily. I think he will hit those throws. He did a good job, I thought. Um, again, this is one thing where he gets knocked unnecessarily. I think unfairly that he can't bring the team back. I think it's just ridiculous uh, because you know, in fairness, yeah, he hasn't won those games. But like in any of these situations, the Tennessee game, even. He's he's making plays. He's not, you know, it's not a situation where 
when they're down, he's done. He doesn't look good. He's throwing interceptions and he's tripping over himself. He's still making a number of plays and he did that. And I thought he, he showed a lot of fight. Uh, we get back to the passing performance, which still stunk. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we know that that needs to improve. But I think that was an outlier. Uh, nothing really that sticks out in my mind that's a major concern. Uh, but I do think, you know, being able to complete some of these key passes early in the game. And I think he's going to get some, like you said, the, the drop is tough. Not to harp on that, to, the, the drop to Marquise Brown is tough just because it seems like when they have it early in the game, it might get in their heads a little bit. So I think they've got to have some confidence and some 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 easy completions. And I think maybe that's something that they got to work on, uh, give Lamar some easier completions to, to get in a rhythm early. Right. He, he did not throw many balls down the field, period, in this game. But he certainly didn't complete many balls down the in the field. And I, it's interesting because I went over to Next Gen to see if I could see the average completion air yards from this game. I, I don't know how you are when you look at graphs and try and figure it out an average, but they're, all the throws are like under five yards, and some of them are obviously for negative yards on screens. And it looks like it might be about two yards, maybe one yard might have been his average completion in this game, which is terrible. Off the charts, terrible. And yeah, uh, yeah, so he missed all his long throws in this game. That's obviously that's a re-rearing of the of the one of the complaints about Lamar is that he doesn't really have a good deep ball. So anyway, let's move on. Obviously, we hope Lamar doesn't run into any of these emotional issues going forward or or the uh, the other ones that are uh, in terms of being as accurate as he was in, say, week one. Dev, I wanted to, to open this up now. I know you had a number of plays you wanted to discuss. I saw your list. It's outstanding. So why don't we go through those? I have some comments on each of those, and uh, and we can talk through those. Excellent. Sounds like a plan. Let's do it. All right. So, I mean, I think, you know, just starting off looking at at Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch. Now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii. Um... You know, looking at the plays that I charted, um, you know, I'm going to start in the first drive. Actually, the first drive is what really, you know, it was so interesting to me. I got so excited look, watching that drive because I'm like, they're back to basics. You, know, you saw that in the, in the Houston game. In the second half, they were pounding the football. They had Ricard on the field. They had Boyle on the field. They were in their heavy sets. Uh, they've done some things, and I've, I've written about it, where Greg Roman has straddled the line between three wide formations, three wide looks not having Ricard on the field, and then also having Ricard on the field. I think he's really fig- trying to figure it out without Hayden Hurst right now. Like, what's the sweet spot? Well, they came out, and, and Ricard was on the field, and they had some good runs, um, and that was good. Uh, that was the good. And I think they got they, they obviously bogged down when they got in the red zone, so we know about that. One of the things that stood out to me, though, um, was Dobbins' usage. And so third downs, he was utilized – most of the game, he was the third down back. Right. Um, they used him a number of different ways. They used him as a, a decoy. Um, he, he was used on a couple of fakes. They got him out in some pass routes. I think they could have done more with that, frankly. Um, I like his usage um, overall. I think they can use him more in early downs. I think they can use him more in the red zone. Um, I think there's a lot 
to like with him. That's not to take away from the other guys either. Like I think Gus and Ingram, like they have to figure out their mix. But I think what stood out to me was just Dobbins' versatility on third downs. They flexed him out wide. There, there was some good stuff there. Out of out of a, um, let's just put it this way, Ken, <laughs> out of an offensive uh, performance and scheme that really just was a train wreck. I think this was one of the standout things that Roma did well. I think Dobbins' usage on third down really stood out. So, okay, for, for reception, you only had carried the ball one time. Now, what I'm seeing as usage is I'm seeing Ray Rice 2008. You know, it, they're basically using him when they had McGahee and McLean on that team, also running the ball and, and eating up a lot of those early down carries. Uh, you know, they, they had Rice available, and they had to figure out how do they mix him into the offense when he, he was – uh, it, it, as it proved out to be, the, by far the best back of the group. So anyway, what they've done with Dobbins is they've started him off on on third downs, which I think is the most um, meshing with what skills he has. And I'll add that I've seen him make a couple of very good pass blocks. We don't have a sample size that I'm yet comfortable talking about, but he upended a player in this game that it was just on the edge of the screen that was just beautiful to see. It was a it was a uh, you know a great pass block. If he's going to be on the field on third down to be useful, that has to be part of his game. He has to be able to pass block, stay in the backfield if that's necessary. Also, uh, create situations where they can force a linebacker or someone else, perhaps a safety, to cover him on a five wide situation, and create space for Lamar to yeah. leave the pocket. I mean, that's part of it too. Is you're creating space when you when you move them out. It's mm-hmm. not always about that one-on-one matchup it's drawing a defender out and being able to create more avenues and lanes so that's just it too and i think he does that and he forces those matchups more than the other guys do um you know no no justice hill right now so i think he's got some of that ability as well to to go out and run run routes and be a space player dobbins is really like his his electric ability i think is just it's 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 on the surface and it's going to break out It, it might even be this game coming up against against washington football team so it's coming it's coming close i love his again like you said he's underutilized overall in this game in terms of actual touches but him being used as a chess piece i think is something to look forward to um, going forward okay let's hear another that was a good one yeah and i think another thing that that i made a note of um aside from that first drive or on that first drive but you also had you know, and I think we're going to touch on it in a little bit of a deeper level. Is uh, Devin Duvernay also touched the ball on a sweep, jet sweep? Uh, I think it was a jet sweep. It didn't. It's not a very impactful play, but again, um, just kind of. I think whenever he touches the ball, it's it's noteworthy because it's clear that they want to get him involved, and I think he's he's responded well to that. I I, I love Duvernay's Duvernay's usage so far. Harbaugh's a special teams guy. He obviously loves this, but uh, the, the kickoff return is an obvious usage of DuVernay that he's going to be valued. He's going to be active every week just because of that. But he's now a punt gunner. I don't know if you caught that in this game, that he's one of their two guys who's on the outside uh, trying to cover punts. You know how, Harb- how Harbaugh must value that very highly. And then to see him now go up to three targets instead of one each in the previous two games, I, I think we're about to see a breakout on there. I mean, I would not be surprised if there's some game this year where he might get targeted, say, seven times. And in, in a lot of ways, he's what we hoped Justice Hill would be last year. Yeah. 
I agree. Uh, no, I think he's he's and he's really more versatile, and he can you can you can line him up at tailback. You can line him up in the slot. You can line him up outside. I don't want to make too much out of this because you know, and I've been I haven't been bashful comparing him in a role way, not necessarily like at the same quality level of the Debo Samuel or some of these other guys. But I think that they they've wanted to integrate that into this offense. It makes perfect sense that they would because of all the motion and all the other pre-snap movement that they do. And then some of the, the illusion of the offense. So he really work, works well in that. And I think they, it, that, you know, they've done some things to preview his ability in the offense. So, yeah, I, and I it was encouraged, you know, hearing Harbaugh after the game saying they do need to get him more involved. He's yeah. pushing for that. And last thing I want to bring up with him is not just on underneath stuff, down the field. Oh yeah, the field he can do that too, and he's got that ability. So there's not much he can't really do. You know, they've only used him, I think, on one cross so far, but that's one where he should be he should be torching opposing linebackers. You know, oh yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. Go go ahead with your next one here. I want to get through as many of these as we can here. Yeah, let's wrap up. Uh, You know, the the well, I guess there's three points that I'll make, um, kind of in in unison. But you know, on the on the flip side, Duvernay's you know, you're not getting anything right now from Miles Boykin, which mm-hmm. I, I think that has to be looked at by the, the coaches have to be looking at that, just saying how many snaps is he getting where he's making an impact as a receiver. I'm not charting and I haven't charted him as a blocker. So I'm not 100% sure how effective he's been. And he is a really good blocker. So that's important for fans to understand. Yeah. When they say, why is Boykin on the field? He's a really important cog in the running game. You can't get around that, and a guy like Duvernay to take some of the snaps away from him is going to have to do that. So, but you need you need him to make plays, and he's not really doing that right now. Okay, so I I have a different feeling about Boykin. I think there 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 might be a trust issue. It might be a comfort in looking from right to left on the field that Lamar has, but Boykin's on the left side of the field. Um, there have been studies done about where you want to sit in a classroom, and you know there's is depending on which which is the, the teacher's normal sitting position. You want to sit a standing position. You want to sit on one side or the other and you tend to tend to get a better piece of the information here or, or, or more attention from the, from the teacher. Perhaps this is a case where I think Boykin's position on the field is something that Lamar is not making him the first read the way to fix that. If they want to get trust between Boykin and Lamar built up, which is key is to have Boykin be the scripted first read. So you, you make these target, make three plays that you're going to have at the beginning of the first or the second half and have them automatically going to Boykin. That's a way to get him three targets a game. If he catches two of those three or all three and then he makes a play with the ball afterwards, Lamar's all of a sudden going to throw him the ball more. He's going to look for him more. He may, he may you know, move him up naturally within his own reads. Uh, even the, the, whatever the play may say, he may, do, he may decide that pocket's in trouble. I'm looking for Boykin. And that's what I've been encouraged with Miles with Miles this year is he's made more of the extended play catches with Lamar, including one where he came all the way from the left sideline all the way to the right to make it on a, and, and turn it upfield. You know, he is definitely there and there's capability of that. And that's a good point about just kind of getting him in the rhythm and like getting those getting those two on the same page. They could build in some they could have some built in plays for that. You saw that at the beginning of the year last season, actually. I think it was in fact, I think it was in the Miami game, if I'm not mistaken. If not the Miami game, I think it might have been the Cardinals game in week two. So they did do some of that and I think they can do that again and and they can work to his strengths, maybe get him involved on some slants. 
some inside routes. I don't think it's a lost cause. I do think it's something to, to keep an eye on, especially um, if you're looking for impact. So they're going to have to play around with the rotation. Yeah, I mean, they, they, right now they have three guys playing just about the same percentage of the snaps at wide receiver. They could expand that because Duvernay is the next up on that list. Prochet hasn't – he's played five five or ten snaps so far this year. But Duvernay's could be, could be expanded. And, uh, you know, it's certainly possible they could reduce any of the, of the big three, even, uh, Marquise Brown, who I want on the field, he want him as a threat. I like the fresh legs and we didn't talk about this with the running backs as much, but I love rotation by down for running backs rather than rotation by series. Cause you really getting fresh legs then. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I've always been, I've been a fan of that too. Rotation by series just seems so arbitrary to me. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So I think the good offensive t- uh, coaches, the Shanahan's and, and those guys, they understand, you know, manipulating the defense by uh, games uh, by situational football, right? Through situational mm-hmm. football, the Patriots, for example, do that. So they don't. I don't know that. And, and, and there's some exceptions to that. I'm not. I don't want to generalize, but I, I think yeah. To your point, it's a little bit more about. Um, you know, situational football, but also continuously trying to rotate guys in. They have four receivers right now, and you don't count Proch. So, um, and all those guys bring some different, you know, abilities to the table. I think they've got to find the right mix. Um, and there's no reason to stay static with with the rotation at all. Yeah, it's we've we've kind of lost Willie Sneed in this a little bit, but he's caught all eight balls thrown at him this year. That's a very valuable thing. And, you know, none of the other receivers can boast that. Uh, Boykin isn't doing badly this year. Obviously, Andrews is. He's 9 out of 17 right now, so he's barely over 50%. Uh, You know, they've got to find the guys who can catch the ball and include them more in the offense. Absolutely agree. I think that's a good problem to have. It's not a bad thing. They're just trying to figure it out. But, you know, I think some of these guys are just – chomping at the bit to make more plays and to your point Snead has been doing his job he's been making the catches uh but I think the routes need to vary and I, I did make another note here about just plays is that you didn't really see crossers in the middle of the field you didn't see like second level or int- deep intermediate immediate routes mm-hmm. um intersecting routes rub routes things that you know saw some of that in the first two games and that, especially with Andrews they did a nice job of getting him open off of that I'd like to see that happen more. They really need to do that. And they had the, they had the fiasco, I, get, I, th- I think, with Boykin and Snead running into each other. So maybe, maybe, yeah. I'm, maybe I'm putting that out there and they just need to execute better. Well, if you, if you look at the, the uh, dot diagrams now, and they're available in Next Gen, of the, some of the plays and how they were run, you'll see, the, the, you know, you'll see all five routes on there. And you'll see that the Chiefs are not at all scared. First, to start in bunch, they had the four-man stack, which is the first time that's been done in five years of next gen, uh, keeping the keeping the diagrams of it. You remember the four-man stack, like anyway. I saw that. Yep. No, okay. I, that was incredible. And and they were they were fearless in terms of their willingness to uh, you know basically show the Ravens a stack. Uh, do whatever they had to do in terms of of rubbing from a route across the field on it, or or just confusing the Ravens defenders, and and it continued to work. So why go away from it? And if you look at their the routes they ran, they ran an, a very high percentage of shallow crosses in the game, and you know it's it, it, they always seem to to manufacture open space. I wish the Ravens could do the same thing, but they're not really a stack team. They're not really a bunch formation team. They play, the, and, and yeah, to that point, they're not 
they're not at the level of Kansas City at all. Well, nobody is, but or Pittsburgh in the in past years. Or Pittsburgh in past years, yeah, exactly. They were that was their go-to. They got Heinz Ward going on slot on a lot of slot Rosley side, but I, I saw good usage of the three by ones, and I'd like to see more of it. I feel like they're trying to get it involved, and there's positives to it, and I, I just would like to see more of that. And I, you know, I, I think just to wrap up on any of the things I observed, the play action was. They tried to use more of the play action in the second half. Had some mixed results with that on early downs. So I think um, you know that was their approach to try to get the passing game going and kind of to, to rev it back up. Um, so you know, again, they had some mix, they had some mixed results with that, and that was something else I noted. But you know, I think they'll do. They, they've got a chance to turn things around um, with their play action, and they need to just execute on those plays. Let me let me give you one more question. Do you do you think the Ravens are running enough pistol compared to last year? They ran a highly disproportionate amount of pistol that fueled the read option, of course, by you know forcing um, uh, discipline on both sides of the defense, and, and then forcing extreme discipline from the guy who goes unblocked. Right. And I, I, you know, I I just I liked it when they were running more out of pistol. And they're not doing it as much anymore. And it's it's to me, Lamar is not as dangerous or effective when the running back lines up next to him with a crossover mesh handoff as opposed to a all the way to one side mesh handoff and and the read that goes with that. That's an interesting observation. I, to me, yeah, I believe you know they should be running it more and it had they had more success or not so much more success but it seemed like it like you said it just gave them another um platform launching pad uh, space things out a little bit differently so yeah i wonder why they aren't running it as much not 100% sure what the correlation would be but it seems as though they've cut down on it and they would like to see it uh utilized more mm-hmm. i mean it, it, I, I the other thing that i like about it is it gave it gave more time for plays to develop and that's run or pass game. It's it's, we know well what it does for the run game to have a mesh handoff doing that the delay as the, as the runner is going through the mesh, cause he's not going quite at full speed when he does that is creating time for double team, team blocks to get set up on the inside. And also for, for the, for the combination blockers to move into level two and even set up their guys. If you have a third guy in the backfield, maybe Hurst last year, get him downfield, get a block made in level two. But it, it, it created lots of opportunities in the run game, but also created time in the pass game because all Lamar has to do is show two hands of a fake to, to a uh, ball carrier. And all of a sudden edge defenders are wondering, but those linebackers in level two have to basically stop their reads for a moment. And it often created uh, opportunities, obviously, for, for for play action, which we saw, but also gave opportunity for Lamar just to have an extended pocket where he might make a deep throw, too. So I, I just I, I love the pistol and what it does for the Ravens offense, and I wish they'd go back to more of it this year than they have so far. I'm with you, and I think um, that that's something that they should definitely reconsider and bake it in some more uh, because there's some definite advantages to it, and they may, just, they may, may do that, and I wouldn't put it past them to do that. All right. Uh, anything else? Any other plays, players you want to talk about? No, other than just get, you know, Devin Duvernay the ball more. I'd like to see that. Dobbins we've talked about. Those two guys, two rookies right now, who I think uh, could really, as the season continues, 
as this offense evolves, I think they're going to get more chances and they're going to make plays. I really do. All right. We talked a little bit about this, you know, all the way through because you can't help but talking about how the Ravens can apply what they learned from this loss going forward. But, you know, first of all, where I'll start off with your opinion on this. Is this could can you manufacture this into a good thing in any way that the Ravens lose this game in week three? Sure. (laughs) It's week it's week three. Right. So that's number one. It's not a game that really tilts things too much for them. They've got, let's be honest, Ken. I mean, the slate of teams that they're playing coming up, they're going to be five and one pretty easily. Four and one, five and one. Uh, I, I think that's, that's going to happen. Um, so going forward, like if you were to fast forward this and they lose to Kansas City again, is if it really forces them to look at themselves and say, all right, when we play this team, like we can't keep doing what we're doing. We need to scrap right. this approach the last two times we've played them. Um, almost like again, getting back to the boxing analogy. If the boxing, if the boxer's like, I've approached this this fight the same way twice, I'm gonna take a t- totally different approach now. Um, if that happens in the postseason, great. I think that's that's really what you have to hope is that after these embarrassments, not embarrassments, but after these disappointments. Right, like the game planning, the scheming, the players make you know not making those plays, they get all of that together, and they they, they actually rise to the occasion. I think the the number one comparison I've I've seen the most of is that Denver, uh, like shellacking in twelve, and you know a few weeks later they came out and they, they played a different ball game and and they handled them, and and it's funny because if you look back at that game, of course that's when you know everything changed with Caldwell taking over. They were a completely different offensive um, outfit, and off, they had a different offensive game plan. And Joe was playing better, so there's so much football to go. I, I was definitely one of these people that was like, "Man, this is like a really bad loss because everything was put onto this game in the off season." But they could definitely turn this into a positive. I, I think that you know, again, two and one, Kansas City's not going to win all their games against the Ravens forever and ever. No, I mean, I, I agree. And I, there's nothing about Kansas City that's so utterly fearsome that they cannot be beat. If the Chargers can give them the kind of game they had, then the Ravens can, certainly can too. I, I agree with all your points about, about you know past teams that have done it well. The 2012 Ravens, by the way, had a lot of guys out for that, for that um, Denver game during the regular season, including Marshall Yonda, but lots of others as well. I, I don't think that I can point to that and say it's a good – analogy for this because i don't think the ravens were shorthanded in this game at all i mean the tavon young loss was is is the big one but i mean i mean it's not like kansas city wasn't missing players too so particularly in the secondary i mean kansas city is really really shorthanded in the secondary for this game amazing that they were able to do what they did to the ravens as a passing game you know I'm, i'm taking the other side of this for the sake of the show but i mean this is effectively a game and a half lost in both the fight for the number one seed which the ravens might not get anyway and the fight for a home field advantage against Kansas City in the playoffs, which is could be a lot more significant. Uh, and and why you while they certainly didn't convert home field advantage here, it would be a lot worse to have been playing this game in Arrowhead in front of ten or fifteen thousand fans, or how many they're allowing in now, um, than it would have been to, to to play it in Baltimore. Those are all fair points, and I think you know let's be honest, Kansas City just isn't a good matchup for this team right now, and and may not change for. 
I hate to say it, but it might not change for another season. I mean, they the things that Kansas City has going for them to to remain the top dog, it's it's the top guy, and Mahomes is the top guy, and and the Ravens haven't figured that out. They haven't solved that issue. It's like in some of those, in some ways, it reminds me of, of what they dealt with with the Peyton um, curse, almost like the Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning would just he would torture them at times, and. There were, I mean, there was the, the game in 2006, of course, the, the playoff game in which they held him down, but more times than not, like Peyton actually figured it out and figured them out defensively. But right. you know, I, I think, you know, not to veer off track and go down, you know, his, you know history lessons, but yeah, I mean, it, the Chiefs may just be just the ultimate, you know, foil for the Ravens right now. And if the Ravens were at all able to turn things around, they're going to have to play a different game. They can't. Right take the same approach they're gonna have to play their game and they're just gonna have to, to, to live with it and Lamar's gonna have to complete throws in critical situations on the offense has to play leaps and bounds better if the defense plays better that would be that would be awesome but I'm not expecting that I think they're gonna have to the offense is gonna have to step up I think more than anything else yeah I, I would agree I mean I think they need to play with the lead and, and that would have made running the wall, running the football easier. But the, the the team that they did figure out in the playoffs, and they figured out, and no other franchise did, is the New England Patriots. And they figured out how to go into Foxborough and win games. And they did it in 2009 uh, with a game they ran the ball 52 times and passed it 10. And yep. uh, you know that it, you know, Flacco was four out of 10 in that game passing passing the ball, and they won. You know they won again in 2012. Go to the Super Bowl was a very different thing, but they got we're behind at halftime, went into the shotgun. The Patriots had no answer for it in the second half. It was the first game they'd ever lost with Brady and, and Belichick um being at home and leading at the at, at the halftime. Uh anyway, no other team had that kind of success. I really do believe this organization with the coaching staff it has is going to be able to figure it out in terms of of the playoffs at some point, or figure out how to beat Kansas City at some point. Yeah, and to your point, they did lose to Pittsburgh multiple times in the yes. postseason as well. If you think back to those losses, it took them multiple cracks. I think the fan base just has to stay patient. This might not get figured out in one season or one um, off season. It's it's possible it could take a couple of seasons. And I know people don't want to hear that because we're three games into the season, and this was supposed to be the the over the hump game. It didn't work out that way, but that's the beauty of sports. You get another chance. At these guys, yeah, you, you and and maybe you don't, and maybe somebody else takes care of them, and, and you know that's a, that's another possibility. I mean, maybe Pittsburgh goes and takes care of them, and the Ravens, you know, have can figure out how to beat Pittsburgh. So you know, there's totally. lots of lots of different possibilities. I, I am concerned with this loss. Also, it's a, it's a conference loss, and it does reduce their chances of winning the division. And you know, they've got two competitive teams in the division. Pittsburgh's definitely competitive. I'm I'm you know not fearful in any way of who Roethlisberger is. I think he'll eventually, he'll let them down. But then I've been saying that for years, frankly, about, about him. And the only time he's really let him down is when he's been injured. Um, and, but the Browns right now are enormous and physical on both sides of the football on both sides of the line of scrimmage. And they gave the Ravens all they could handle at the line of scrimmage in week one. And it really concerns me more that they might be legitimate uh, going to the stretch. And Baker Mayfield's going to have to figure it out. But he certainly could with the protection he's got. They could, yeah. Then, then I think they're starting to figure out the fact that they they're they're going to be who they are, which is they're going to pound the football. They've got the best two. I think they've got the best tandem at running back in the league mm-hmm. by by leaps and bounds. And I, I said that in week one. 
uh, when people were concerned that they got run on, I was like, they're going to do this to every team they play pretty much. So they are poised to to be difficult in that sense. I do think uh, I think the Ravens with you know their defensive scheme, they really do actually match up better with the Browns and, and Baker can't face pressure does struggle with pressure so that's something that they have going for them versus like Mahomes for example who just absolutely thrives on the blitz or facing the blitz mm-hmm. Steelers are interesting I just I still haven't bought them at all I, I still think the Browns are actually a little bit better than them and I, I, probably I'd say the Steelers defense is of course is very um, difficult and, and they gave the Ravens a run for their money in that first game last year Lamar I think had his worst I think he had his worst uh, performance, if I'm not mistaken, against the Steelers, the regular season, uh, just in terms of the statistics. We're talking about like week five when he had two interceptions. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he definitely was, I think, up there in terms of one of his worst statistical performances. Yeah. That defense has gotten better um, you know, if you think about some of the additions they've made. So I, I, I respect their defense for sure. I just think they don't have enough firepower to keep up with the Ravens. And I don't think they, they have an answer for the run game when the run game's going. So um, I'm not as concerned necessarily uh, with those guys, with those teams. Uh, I think they could lose once maybe to Pittsburgh and go five and one in the division, but um, I see them still being a notch above. And I think that'll prove itself out throughout the course of the season. All right. Well, I, I certainly hope you're right about that. One of the things, the only other thing I want to talk about coming out of this game is, do you think there's any, do you have any fear that other teams are going to try and emulate what the Chiefs did in this game? Or was the singular performance of Mahomes too special to be really duplicatable? I mean, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm more concerned that we're going to see the Ravens will face more bunch, more stack, which is probably they can get a, they can coach themselves into a better position that way. But shallow crosses and, and medium crosses as well are, are areas of, of weakness for this team because their linebackers are just not going to do them a lot of favors in coverage. You just nailed it. That's my concern. That's the concern is the coverage in the middle of the field is the linebacker's ability to read motion, misdirection. I don't think that there's any team that's going to duplicate what Kansas City did in that sense. But do I think that they, they, the other teams are going to attempt to do it? Are they going to try to move these linebackers laterally, give them eye candy? Yeah, I think that's going to happen until they, they can fix that. And then you've got the slot concerns with Tavon Young. Mm-hmm. I think there is some definite, uh, you know, I think there's some definite – uh, opportunities there for other teams to exploit that good coaches I, I can see even maybe not this week but looking down the road um i'm thinking the, like the philly game doug peterson's a hell of a coach i know they're depleted on offense but i could see that happening where he figures out scheme wise like i gotta get these guys out of position and he comes from the andy Reid tree so if we're just thinking about it from from just that point of view that's probably the single biggest concern on the other side of the football, I think you're right. I don't think, you know, the, the you know, I think, you know, I think some of the stuff that um, coverage-wise and some of the things that the Chiefs were able to do, I think teams may duplicate that. I think the Ravens will burn them on those opportunities, though. Um, and I just think, you know, I, and getting to the Mahomes argument, yeah, nobody has Mahomes, so the blitzes that Wing dials up, they're not going to get dissected as as easily. Right. Um, but I do. That concern you just brought up, the middle of the field, the crossing routes, the inability to cover tight ends, that's my biggest concern right now. Okay. 
So uh, let's do this. Let's go to the. I'll, I'll toss in my fake mail mailbag question before before we go to Josh here. Here it is. The Ravens can can make one personnel move or and get a veteran pass rusher, and let's say it's Clay Matthews, or they can get a slot corner who actually has some ability. Which is the greater need for the Ravens right now? You know, I I would actually. The need, I think, is for the pass rusher. But if you're telling me uh, it's a guy like Clay Matthews, I don't know if that's exactly going to improve <laughs> any of the guys that they have. I don't. At that point, I'd say play you know Bowser more, or give him more reps, or something like that. But um, you know, if you're telling me that there's a better slot corner out there, I'll take that uh, because to me that's a little bit easier to work with. And there, there may be something to that, but, you know, uh, I, I don't know who they could get. Yannick's not available. We talked about that on a previous podcast. So I don't think there's anything with the pass rusher that they could, you know, kind of. Yeah, the, the Vikings already extended Yannick, right? You know, I don't think they Because if they didn't, he's available. Because I, I guarantee you the Vikings will trade him right now if, they, if, they, if they're not still of a mind to extend him. Now, given they're, what they traded. They're 0-3 right now, yeah. and, and they're falling apart and with all the injuries they have on defense. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's getting any better. So <laughs> that, that's, still on the table. That's, that's still on the table. But, yeah, that's my answer there. But, you know, I'd say I'd want the pass rusher for sure, but I don't see there being a quick fix there. Okay, I, I personally, I think that they would solve a lot more problems by getting Humphrey back on the outside and having a really good slot corner. They, they, Humphrey is, is under I – mean, his physicality is valued because he rushes the quarterback, but it's also a misuse of him to be on the inside. He's so much more valuable if he's on the outside and, and you know, covering more high-leverage routes uh, in doing so. I agree. Uh, I think it's nice when they give him some of the – snaps and they, they move him around especially uh he's, he's got some snaps even at linebacker i mean there's been some interesting designs there but it's i think his home is on the outside you can use them that way here and there but i don't think it's a you know ideal situation long term how are we doing in the mailbag josh uh you guys cleared out the mailbag i mean everything you guys have covered whether it's Dobbins and getting him the ball more, uh, whether we should make a personnel move, future teams we should be concerned about. Um, only other thing is, uh, how do you stop the drops? Is there anything the Ravens can do to stop the amount of drops they had on Monday night? Everybody gets their own jugs gun. No, I, 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 I don't know what you do. Obviously, the time on the jugs gun is now what you're allowed to do while, while they're in the facility here. But I really do like the players. I really love the fact that Boykin bought his own gun on the offseason. Yeah, they're going to get a correction. Maybe you have some higher percentage throws, perhaps, like early downs. Give them some easy throws. Get them going. Get them in a rhythm. Uh, but they're professionals, and you can't drop these passes, especially if you want to win a Super Bowl. I think that's just the other key here, not to elongate this answer, but it's like you know, Andrews and Brown, these guys are talking about all these things. They've got to actually make these plays in big moments. Well, and isn't that the – that's part of the problem now is – the Ravens have built themselves up to it's Super Bowl or it's a failure. So the, the expectations are not high. Or it can't be any higher. So we expect them to beat every single team. Yeah, and I think when you go back to that Tennessee game for the sake of it, we've talked about the Seth Roberts drop. I mean, you expect that from Seth Roberts, right? So I think mm-hmm. when you get 
when you have drops from your top guys, it's a higher level of disappointment. And it, it affects the rest of the team too. So those guys for their own sake, and I know that they're, you know, prideful guys, they're, you know, ultra, ultra competitive guys. Um, mm-hmm. So they're going to come out and, and, and correct it. But for now that, that would be my point too, is maybe with these guys, uh, that's your top dogs, maybe get them some easier completions, get them involved. You look at what the chiefs do with Kelsey, right? A lot of that, a lot of the completions he has to start the game. I, I don't know if there's, you almost have to track every single game they've played, but it almost seems like they get him going pretty quickly on in, inside routes and he gets into a rhythm pretty quickly. Uh, he, he's, he's got that connection. Obviously what, what just annoys me is how consistently off the line, he can float immediately into space and is not covered. Even when he's he has press coverage at the line of scrimmage, all of a sudden he's five yards in the open. Well, how did that happen? You broke something down with a bunch formation or whatever. Anyway, I, I talked about the defense last time. I got so frustrated with it. I, I don't really want to go over that again. Dev, we love having you on this show. Always, you know, one of the very best conversations about football when I get, where I can spend an hour and 15 with you uh, on one of these. Uh, tell us, what do you have to plug right now? So I am I'm doing a every other week column called Hot Take Tuesday for Russell Street Report. It basically got carte blanche to write about whatever I want, <laughs> observations of the game. Um, you know, so I, it's going to be again every other week and alternating weeks. Uh, I have uh, actually an article out right now to talk about the Kansas City game and specifically some of the things we covered in this pod, but also just the mentality, the approach of the coaches, the games, the game plan, Greg Roman, um, not running the football. So, so look out for the, I guess, read up on that. And also the rookie linebackers, um, some of the things Kansas city did to exploit them. Um, on top of that, uh, just kind of look out for, for me, uh, you know, here and there at some, um, we're, nothing, nothing's planned right now, but during the season, I'll have some focus pieces, um, you know, some feature pieces that I might put together, uh, that are X's and O specific. Uh, that's terrific. We have you coming back one more time for the defense in week 15. Is this right? We only got you twice on the schedule this year. That's terrible, Dev. That's all you could commit to? Uh, well, hey, but if there's something else work, I'm, uh, I'll, I'll, t- I'll definitely look into it. And I, I enjoy talking football with you guys, of course. Uh, tough game, but this made it easier and uh, I'm looking forward to that next appearance. That's a long way away though. We, so hopefully we can get something. Well, we, we had to make it 12 weeks away or 13 <laughs> weeks away. So you can get some headphones. Yeah. <laughs> it was all planned out. Then I'll have them by then. Right. If not, you got a Christmas present coming <laughs> That's around right. Christmas time. Hey, Josh, uh, tell us about what's going on in three thirty six, and maybe what else uh, we'd like them to do with the show here. All right, nothing else, nothing in 336. We took this week off, a lot of stuff going on in uh, our lives. So, you know, Oriole season ended, so we figured we'll take a week off and we will come back next week and kind of close out that season. Now, you've already right. lost part of your softball season to COVID, I'm understanding. <laughs> I did lose a game today because of COVID, yes. Yeah, so, uh, you know, it's just like the Titans. We'll reschedule and, and, and go through the protocols. All right. But uh, yeah, film study, here's what we want you to do. Go on over to filmstudybaltimore.com. Share the podcast with your friends on social media. Share the articles on social media. Head on over to Apple Podcasts and subscribe to the show or Spotify and subscribe. And uh, rate and review. Five stars and a little review helps the show out a lot as people go in there searching for football podcasts, Ravens podcasts, 
all that helps out a lot. So do that, please. Much appreciated whenever they do that. Uh, new pod starting on Film Study Baltimore. It'll be on the website. It'll be obviously in your downloads as well. The Situation Room with uh, Gabe Ferguson and Jordan Coe. They are fantastic. Jordan was on the defensive show last night. We taped it. And uh, Gabe will be on the defensive show next week. But love them both. They really are, are great football minds. And uh, they're going to talk about some specific situations and common threads kind of running through some of the things that are they see in Ravens games coming up. Welcome to the Situation Room. Yeah, I can't excited for that show to uh, get started. But all that's coming this week, along with some more articles from you, Ken. Still got an offensive uh, line article be out be out on Thursday this week, not Wednesday as originally promised. We had a lot of jam podcasting this week and late Monday game, of course. Right, and of course, know your foe will come up as we prepare for the uh, Washington football team this weekend. Had a great guest on that, Mark uh, Bullock, and uh, and he'll be on. We recorded the show already. It sounds terrific. He's very knowledgeable. Great uh, scheme show. How many times did you accidentally say skins? Once, and I was recording it. Uh, he did not. He did okay. not mess up even once. But uh, you know, it's, it's tough right. to do. It is it is extremely hard to do. Uh, is there a by the numbers this week? Yes. Another one? Uh, all right, so we've got that busy podcasting week as we cram it all into four days. So you've got uh, by the numbers, know your foe coming out for the next couple of days. So, guys, we will talk again soon. We're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch. Now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.